just to share with you quickly a prayer request. When you pray, when you think of us this week or in the weeks ahead, do you pray for my mom and my dad? They found some things on her lungs and in her chest. She's not going to do any treatments, so she's not going to go through a bunch of that stuff. So if you just keep her in your prayers, that would be that'd be helpful. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and it says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy. Everybody say worthy. Worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one God, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me ask you a question. For those of you who have been in church for a while, have a relationship with Jesus, how many of you remember the day that you gave your life to the Lord? For some people, it was a very dramatic experience. For me, I'd grown up in church, and there were different times where I would pray at the altar, and the pastor would say things, and I would feel guilty, and I would go and kneel, and I would ask Jesus. The day that I look back is the day that I really rededicated my life to the Lord. That was a dramatic event for me. That was a life-changing event. And whenever that happened, my life was what I believe. I believe my life was radically changed inside. I realized that there was a new spirit that was placed inside of me. I was different. Not because I looked different on the outside. I was different because God had placed his spirit inside of me. And I was overwhelmed by the love of God for me, by his mercy for me, by his concern for me. I felt like, what do I have to give God? And the fact that he wanted me and that he came pursuing me was something that just overwhelmed me. And what it did, there's an old song that when I was a kid, they used to sing at church. It says, give me that old-time religion. Did any of you ever hear that? So they say it three times, give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion. And, it, and one of the verses of it, it says, it makes me love everybody. It makes me love everybody. And one of the things about when God's Spirit comes inside and dwells in us is He puts this love in our heart for people who we don't even know. You get a little bit crazy whenever you get in the presence of God. Did you ever notice this? That especially if, like, you're an outsider and you've not been around that and you see that. And you, once you've experienced it, I want that. But if you're standing on the outside looking at it, you just think people are crazy. Did you ever notice this? you ever notice that whenever you get into the presence of God, and Crystal played that song and talked about the Shekinah glory, the, you know, it's like the heaviness of God's presence and, and His Spirit just resting and God abiding with people. I get kind of goosebumpy when I talk about that. I don't know about you. But when you get into the presence of the Lord, you'll find that a lot of times you feel at peace and you feel at rest. And you've got a lot of problems and you've got a lot of things going on in your life. But when you're in the presence of God, some people want to cry. They get in the presence of God and they're just overwhelmed and they just they feel themselves like getting misty. I'm like, what's what I noticed is that when you get into God's presence, you know, a lot of times we'll see this visible in a service where God is really moving in the service. And people, their attitudes change. Their outlook changes. 
And it kind of changes the way people act and react. When you get into the presence of God, he places his spirit. See, because he put a new spirit in me. That day that I responded to his call, he took a heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh. The day that I responded to his call, he changed the desires inside of my heart. I couldn't change them on my own. He placed his spirit inside of me. Okay? Now, here's the reality. We ask for God's presence to fall. We ask for God's presence to come. Can I tell you that already God's spirit lives inside of you? If you're born again, if you're born of the spirit, the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So while we invite God's presence to fall, I would say that we would be better as the church to say, God, let the glory of the Lord rise among us because His glory, His presence lives inside of you already. Don't misunderstand me. We invite His presence to come, but His presence is already inside of you because He lives in you by His Spirit. And we would say, Lord, let Your glory rise within me. Let your spirit manifest itself. Let what you placed inside of me not be pushed down. Don't let it be pushed down, but let it rise up. What you placed inside of my heart, let it rise up. Because, God, I know that your spirit's in there. Now, this is the crazy thing that his spirit does. His spirit, when, like I said, when you're in his presence, his spirit brings, one of the things it does is it brings unity. Okay? It makes little issues unimportant. It makes... The concerns and the hassles of this week are important when you're in his presence. Everything else kind of is peripheral when you get your eyes on him. What you'll see is when God's spirit is moving, you'll see men that when they see one another, you'll see ladies doing this too. People who are normally would be quick just to leave, they hug one another. They care for one another. They listen to one another. You'll see them, as I said, you'll see them raising their hands and swaying. And if you would tell them that they're going to stand beside another man and put their arm around another guy and hug him and say, I love him, they're like, dude, you're crazy. But it's the presence of God. It's not something that people work up. It's not something that people work up. It's something that comes supernatural. It's organic. It's God's spirit does it. It's just their response. What else can I do? I'll see these people, and the reality of it is you'll see white, black, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, and there's this love that God puts in their heart for one another. People who, they may not even know that person very well, but when the presence of God comes, you'll hear them saying, I love you, brother. It's honest because it's the Spirit of God that identifies with one another. You see, because when we're born again, we have the Spirit of Christ living in us. And the Spirit of Christ identifies with the Spirit that's in the other brother or sister. Do you understand that? That's what takes place. And then what is really cool, for someone who's not experienced that, they're like, this is weird. I went to that church, and these big guys are coming up to me and telling me they love me. And they're hugging me. And they're telling me they're praying for me. And they're looking me in the eye. I don't want guys to look me in the eye. I like my wife looking me in the eye. I don't want guys looking me in the eye. And they're listening to what I have to say. And they're, they're saying, how are you doing? And, and they really mean it. There's something different. And it, at first, it scares people. But when they leave, there's something about it that they want. I, I desire that. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God 
to bring unity. The Spirit of the Lord, here's what it is. The Spirit of the Lord, when he moves in your life, is going to bring unity. That's what the Spirit does. Okay? He does that. Now, I don't know about you. I like maintenance-free. But Paul says this. He says, make every effort. Everybody say every effort. To keep the unity of the Spirit. That's what Paul says to us. He said, so that means this. That means that it's not going to happen without effort. Okay? That God is going to bring the unity of the Spirit into our lives. But our part in it, there's effort that we do to keep the unity of the Spirit. As I said, I like things that are maintenance-free, but not everything in life is maintenance-free. Good things you have to work for. Good things you have to take care of. In the first half of his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to them, and he tells them what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus, and what God the Father has already done in their lives. Okay? He tells them these are the things that the Lord has already accomplished in their lives. He tells them that God saves them, and that God makes them alive in Christ. That God removes the distinctions, the things that separated them from one another, God removes that from out of their lives. He says that God adopts them into his family, and that his spirit dwells within them, and that he enriches their lives with every spiritual blessing. Paul says that, in essence, that the Ephesians are going to be God's showcase to the world. Once Paul tells them that, in this portion of Scripture, in chapter 4, he challenges them to live up to what they already are. Do you hear that? Paul challenges them to live up to what they already are, what God has already chosen them for. The Bible says that they will know we are Christians by our what? By our love. By our love. They'll know that we're Christians by our love. Oftentimes we've made it about a lot of other things. But the world desperately needs to see the unity and the love that the Holy Spirit brings. If unity is to exist within the church, if unity is to exist within your home, it's vital that you bear with one another in love. Now, Paul mentions three things that maintain the unity of the Spirit. I want you to hear this. There's going to be an organic unity that comes because you are in Christ. When you become born again, He puts His Spirit inside of you. He does a work inside of you. His Spirit lives inside of you. His Spirit brings unity. Whether you like it or not, that's what happens. But there's some things that we do that maintain the unity of the Spirit. And they are humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay? So the first one is humility. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he says that love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. And when I heard of that, I was like, wow. The key characteristic of humility is that it's not self-regarding. Everybody say self-regarding. The characteristic of humility, when someone is not self-regarding, self-regarding Christians want their own way. When you're concerned about yourself, you want your own way. So in your marriage, you want your way. On the job, you want your way. Driving down the road, you want your way. 
in the church. You want it your way. So then that kind of can cause a problem. When you're self-regarding, when you want things your way, it's great as long as it goes your way. But what about when it doesn't go your way? So this idea of being self-regarding, they expect to be deferred to. When you're regarding yourself, you expect others to defer to you. In the marriage, you expect your wife to defer to you. You expect your husband to defer to you. You expect your children to defer to you. You expect your parents to defer to you. It's great as long as everybody understands the plan. Sometimes you didn't realize that. A lot of people don't realize that it's all about you. That's what a self-regarding person The person who regards himself, other people don't know. Oh, I'm supposed to defer to what you want. Oh, that's how we have peace in our house. What would you like me to do for you? Oh, it's great until someone doesn't defer to you. Okay? We find that with humility. We also find, as far as self-regarding, and we also find they're looking for rewards. All right? So just real quick, let me give them to you one more time. Self-regarding Christians want their own way. They expect to be deferred to, and they're looking for rewards. So as long as they get enough pats on the back, enough recognition, things are great. They're like the Pharisee in the time of Christ, who loved to be greeted in the marketplace and to occupy the chief seats at feast. In contrast, a humble person serves, first of all, without drawing attention to themselves. If you're not self-regarding, it doesn't matter who sees you or who knows. So without drawing attention to themselves, without thought of reward, and even though they are disregarded, unrecognized, and unappreciated. thought about how many people within our church just so faithfully serve the Lord and do what they do week after week, month after month, year after year, and we don't ever have a big party for them. I was like, wow. You know, they're like the cog in a wheel, in an engine, a piece of machinery. The cog that makes things go, it makes things run. It doesn't get seen a lot, but it's such a vital part. There's other parts that are noisy and making noise and clanging and banging, but they're really not doing much. They get a lot of recognition, but that cog that keeps running and moving and turning things over and over. That's what many here are like, but that faithful one. Let me say this to you. It's hard to have unity when everyone is striving to be first, when everybody wants to be recognized, when everybody wants the top reward. Here's the reality. Pride in our lives promotes disunity. It's really hard to have unity in any organization where we're striving to be first. The second thing that Paul tells you to, and this is what Paul said, I want to go back to the verse. He says, be completely humble. Sometimes we're pretty good when we can have a humble moment. So be completely humble. He says, be completely humble. Second one is gentleness. Another word that we could use there is the word meekness. And this is the opposite of self-assertion of rudeness or harshness. It suggests this idea of one's having their emotions under control. But meekness has nothing to do with weakness. Okay? 
meekness is strength and power under control. The reason why Paul tells the Ephesians church all of the things that God has already done in their lives, what they already are, because when you understand what you already are, it's a lot easier to be meek. When you understand your position, when you understand what God has already done for you, it positions you in a place where it's, it's much easier to be humble because you don't have anything to prove. When you truly understand who you are and what Christ has done in your life, it's much easier than when you don't understand who you are or what God has already said about you. Because you're still trying to figure out. And it matters what people think, and it matters your status, and it matters how many likes you got, and it matters people's opinion. But when you understand who you really are in Christ, it enables you. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to be striving because you know what God already says about you. Moses was known as the meekest man of all the earth, yet he was angry when Israel sinned against God. The Bible says that Jesus was meek and humble of heart. Yet he became angry because some Jews were using the temple as a place for thieves. The scripture teaches us this, with this area of being gentle. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, it says, it doesn't say, gentleness doesn't mean that we never say anything. Gentleness means, and humility, these things, we speak the truth in love. Okay? Not because I'm going to put you in your place. Not because you overstepped your bounds. But we speak the truth in love. And notice what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 25. Because we love people, we say what we need to say. Opponents must be gently instructed and hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And ultimately goes on to say, and hope that they'll escape the devil's snare. Galatians chapter 6 says, Concerning gentleness, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person how? Gently. But watch yourself or you'll also be tempted. There again, it's saying you've got to understand what God has done in your life, so you're to help restore someone else, but you do it gently understanding that you too have received the grace of God, that you too have sinned, that you too have fallen short of the glory of God. So we have humility, we have gentleness, and the third one is patience. Patience is a spirit which never gives up. There's two things we're going to talk about patience. The spirit which never gives up, for it endures to the end, even in times of adversity. As believers, we need to have patience. That thing that says, I'm going to endure hardship. I'm going to go through difficult times. I know that they are a part of life. But I have patience. I have the ability to persevere in difficult times. Patience is also self-restraint, which doesn't retaliate quickly when someone wrongs us. We're slow to get angry. How many of you know the First Corinthians 13? What's that? What, what do they refer to that as? The what chapter? The love chapter. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, explains to them what love is, okay? The very first word, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he says, he says, love is what? It's patient, okay? 
So the very first thing that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to, to help people understand what love is, is that it is, first of all, it's patient. God has been patient with you, right? I want you to think about how gracious he's been to you, how kind he's been to you. What gives us the right to be impatient with others? And do you notice this? That a lack of patience leads to all kinds of hurt feelings, wrong responses, divisions, quarrels, often come from a lack of patience. Believers have a common bond, something in common that binds us together. We are all at peace with God. At conversion, when we give our life to Christ, we get peace with God. Okay? That's why you're like, the day you were saved, probably a lot of you, as I said, a lot of you experienced that, where if you're overwhelmed by the peace of God, you're peace, you're no longer an enemy of God, you have peace. We've been reconciled to God by faith in the saving work of Jesus. And this is what unites us. What unites us, young, old, tall, short, skinny, fat, educated, uneducated, whatever divisions that we have, what unites us is what Jesus has done, his finished work on Calvary. What unites us is the fact that we are all reliant upon his work and what he has done for us. But here's the reality. Unity can be lost. This unity of the Spirit, what brings us together, can be hindered. This common bond, this peace with God, here's a lot of times where it gets hindered. A lot of times it gets hindered whenever we lose our peace. Our peace with other people, our unity, is often hindered whenever one person loses their peace with God. Because the opposite of humility is pride and arrogance. I believe Satan was thrown out of heaven for that. And yet as human beings, how often do we struggle with areas of pride? They're getting worth well, I don't think I'm better than anybody else, but are you self-regarding? Are you thinking about yourself? Are you expecting others to defer to you? That's what pride is. Spiritual unity is in danger when a common dependence on Christ's saving work becomes less important than other things. Whenever we realize that, you know what, I was saved by the grace of God. His mercy is what saved me. His mercy is what's done it in my life. And when we get our eyes on peripheral things, well, I think she shouldn't have. Well, I think he shouldn't have. Well, I think the pastor's got have. I think the pastor Joe should probably. I think Christopher should. When we get our eyes off of just how good God's been to us, and we start complaining and grumbling, you realize that the Israelites, God's chosen people, didn't get to experience the promised land because they were grumbling in their hearts. Wow. They didn't get to enter into their rest because they were grumbling. They were unthankful because they were ungrateful. And yet, how can we have unity? Did you ever notice that like spirits attract? Did you ever notice that? Let me illustrate that for you. On a job, you got a disgruntled employee. They'll quickly find. It's like they started a new company. This is the best place. You guys ought to come work here. 
This is the best place anyone's ever worked. I'm telling you, my boss is so good to me. And you're there for a little while. And before long, see, what's in your heart is eventually going to come out. You can change locations. What we need is a change of heart. You can change locations. You can go to a new company. You can get a new wife. You can get a new husband. What's in our hearts is going to come out. If you're a disgruntled person, you can go to a new company. What you're going to find is you'll quickly find other people who, if you're disgruntled, they'll kind of circle around you and you find them quickly. The people who are thrilled with their job usually don't hang out with the disgruntled people. They don't have time for that. They're usually busy getting promoted and being blessed and being thankful and getting their job done. The disgruntled people always have time to stand around and do nothing and complain. See, that's what's in their spirit. The spirit draws. If you're an immoral person, you can go into any town, any town, and find someone to be immoral with in a few minutes. Here's the other thing. There's certain people, and our tendency is to always, whenever difficulty comes, our tendency is to usually put the blame on somebody else. Our tendency is to say if there's a difficulty with somebody, yeah, it's her fault. It's his fault. Instead of looking at ourselves. Okay? So the first place we need to look is we need to look at ourselves. When there's a difficulty with somebody, when there's disunity, we need to search our hearts and say, God, is there anything in my heart that's doing this? And, you know, we'll find a lot of times, even when we don't realize it, by nature, I'm a selfish person. It's from my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. He wanted his way. Huh? And, and, and it's passed down to me, and I unfortunately pass it on to my kids. It's that sinful nature. But we need to first look at ourselves. But after we've looked at ourselves, the reality of it is there's going to be some people who you cannot have the unity of the Spirit with. You can't have unity with them because they're of a different spirit. But I'm saying that there's going to be a reality of it is there's going to be some people that you will never be able to have unity with them because they're of another spirit. It's not the spirit of the Lord. It's an angry spirit. It's a jealous spirit. It's a prideful spirit. And we need to be careful that we aren't that person. Okay? Spiritual unity is in danger when we have disrupted our peace with God. Did you hear that? Spiritual unity is in danger. My relationship with other believers is in danger when my relationship, my unit with the Lord my peace with God has been disrupted. It's funny how whenever I'm having a problem with God, my kids get on my nerves. Huh? You ever notice that? You ever notice that your spouse, when something's interrupted your flow with the Lord, with the Spirit, somehow your spouse kind of gets on your nerves that week, and you're wondering why they just can't get their stuff together? Any of you ever notice that? Or is that just Lord? She no. No, you understand that. If you don't, I guarantee you that your spouse and the people around you do. They understand. They know when you're walking in the Spirit. They know when you're close with the Lord. You're not fooling anybody. They know when we're walking in the Spirit. So when our relationship with God, sin is a direct disruptive force. It always divides. It always separates and splinters. It even divides a man against himself. You ever notice that? The word integrity, part of that you get the idea, integer, like a whole number. It's something that's undivided. Wholeness. And, and when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're in relationship with God, we're whole. When we're listening and we're obedient to the Spirit, you know, He brings wholeness into our life. 
And it's hard for me if my life is lacking integrity. It's hard for me to have good relationships with other people. It's hard to have the unity of the Spirit. It's hard to be able to respond in a way. As believers, we're not to make unity, but we are to guard or keep what God made in creating one new man in Christ. So you don't have to make unity come to pass. All you have to do is walk in the Spirit. Our calling is to walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we walk in the Spirit, what you will find is that as as we walk in the Spirit, as we draw near to the Lord, you're going to find that your connections with other people begin to be made right. And any time you find yourself being self-regarding, any time you find yourself thinking about, what about me? You know that you're in danger. Anytime you find yourself being harsh and quick to snap, whatever the opposite of gentleness is, you realize that unity is in danger. And anytime that you find yourself being impatient, you realize that the unity of the Spirit sits in danger. So as we close, this is what I want to leave you with. God's already given us unity. He's done it by His Spirit. He's made us one. We have all these one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all. God has already brought unity. It's your responsibility to maintain it. It's your responsibility to maintain it. And so those three things that we laid out are the things that God wants to accomplish in your life and work in your life. And what you'll find is, again and again, that joy that comes when we're in the presence of the Lord and we're swaying and we're singing and we're saying to people who we don't know, I love you. The reality of it is that that should be our ongoing reality. It's true that there's some who aren't going to walk in the Spirit, and it's going to be hard for us to be in relationship. That's between them and God. He wants to bring a unity, and He asks you to maintain it. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, I ask you that you would take this word, and I ask you to place it in the hearts of your people, and I ask you to bring it to pass. I pray, God, that any place where we've been disconcerned about ourselves, any place where we haven't been humble, or gentle, or patient. I ask that you bring that to our attention and allow us to respond in a way that glorifies you. I pray that some people, I just feel like there's some people here that if they would apply this in their family, that you'd bring unity in their family there. I believe there's some people here, Lord, if they would apply this on their job, their work environment would transform, Lord. So I pray that you would bring that to pass, and we'll thank you for hearing us and for answering our prayers when we call Thank you for making us one, Lord. That's not something we have to make up. Thank you for what you've already done through Jesus Christ in our lives. And I pray that we would simply live up to the high calling that you've placed upon us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.